Lord Jesus, before physically leaving earth for the last time, you promised your disciples that you would be with them whenever two or three were gathered in your name to the very end of the age. We believe that you have kept this promise and that you will keep it today. Although we cannot see you with our eyes, we believe that your spirit is here with us in this room today. Therefore, we come before you and ask you to speak to our hearts. We ask you to work in our lives and in the lives of our community. Open the eyes of the spiritually blind so that they can see and understand the truth. Reveal your glory to us as we look at your face with unveiled spiritual eyes. Raise the spiritually dead and give them new life in you. Bind the influence of demons in our lives and in our community. Remove them far from us and cast them into hell. Forgive our many sins, cleanse us, and restore our souls that we can have sweet communion with you and fellowship with you and your Father. May each one of us love you with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, because you are worthy of our love. Lord Jesus, like Mary, we are sitting at your feet this morning. We are listening to what you have to say to us. Please speak to our hearts and let us experience your awesome love. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, and take us home. Amen. The Apostle Paul asked God the Father to help the readers of his letter to the Ephesians and all the saints to grasp and understand the love of Christ. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide, and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses understanding, that you may be filled to the measure with all the fullness of God. The love that Jesus Christ has for those who come to him by faith and call on his name is so vast that it can't be measured, and so deep that it can't be fully understood. In Romans chapter 8, the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to say that no one and nothing can separate the born-again believer in Jesus from the love of Christ. Verse 35 asks a rhetorical question about the love of Christ. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Verse 37 through 39 answers the question. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, 
neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Someday soon, we who know Jesus will be leaving the earth to meet him face to face. The blessed hope of the believer in Jesus is to see him when he appears in the clouds to take us back to heaven with him. So we should get ourselves ready to go to heaven with him by learning to love him more. Today we are going to talk about who Jesus is and some of the ways he has loved us in the past. Go ahead and take the sermon outline out of your bulletin. I have also provided a full manuscript with the, of this sermon, which has all the Bible references on it for your personal study. Let's start with the question, who is Jesus? The Bible reveals that Jesus is the word of God, our creator. The Gospel of John starts the same way as Genesis does, with the phrase, in the beginning. The Gospel writer says that someone called the Word was with God and was God, and that everything was made through this person. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. The person called the Word existed in the beginning before creation. He was with God the Father, and yet he himself was God. Everything that exists was created through him. It is as if God the Father gave him the plans and said, make it like this, and he did it. God the Father gave him the words to say, let there be light, let there be an expanse, let there be water, and so on. And the word said these words, and instantly these things were created and began to exist. If we drop down to verse 14 of John chapter 1, we learn that the word is none other than God's only Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He left heaven and came to visit planet Earth, which he created. And he lived with the people he created. The scripture says it this way. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The word became a man. He left the Father's side in heaven and came to Earth. The Word did not give up his divine nature when he chose to become a man. The Word and Jesus are not two persons. He is one person with two natures. He is the God-man, and we know him by the name Jesus Christ. Now let us consider the second part of the answer to the question, who Jesus is. If you excuse me, i got to get a drink of water. By studying the scriptures, we discover that Jesus is the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
who revealed himself in the Old Testament scriptures as the angel of the Lord. The Old Testament records several times when the angel of the Lord appeared in the form of a man and talked with men. The following is a quote from the Got Questions website about the identity of the angel of the Lord. The precise identity of the angel of the Lord is not given in the Bible. However, there are many important clues to his identity. There are Old Testament and New Testament references to angels of the Lord, an angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord. It seems when the definite article the is used, it is specifying a unique being, separate from the other angels. The angel of the Lord speaks as God, identifies himself with God, and exercises the responsibilities of God. In several of these appearances, those who saw the angel of the Lord feared for their lives because they had seen the Lord. Therefore, it is clear that in at least some of these instances, the angel of the Lord is a theophany, an appearance of God in physical form. One time, instead of appearing in the form of a man, the angel of the Lord appeared as a flame of fire in a burning bush. He spoke to Moses out of the bush, saying, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Further down in Exodus 3, Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what should I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. The Hebrew word translated <coughs> into English characters, YHWH, is the name of God. In the Hebrew language, the word means I am. In our English Bibles, it is translated L-O-R-D in all capital letters. This story about Moses and the burning bush would have been well known to the first century Pharisees in Israel. When debating with them, Jesus claimed to have personally known Abraham. The book of Genesis records several occasions where the Lord spoke personally to Abraham. He either spoke to Abraham from heaven spoke to Abraham in a dream, or appeared to Abraham in the form of a man and spoke to him face to face. Let's read John 8, verses 56 through 59. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not 50 years old, the Jews said to him, and yet you have seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. The Pharisees understood that Jesus was claiming to be the I am, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. They took this as blasphemy 
against God and tried to stone him for saying it. The Pharisees understood correctly that Jesus was claiming to be the Lord God, as revealed in the Old Testament scriptures. However, they were incorrect in their evaluation of who Jesus really was. They thought he was only a young Jewish teacher with some crazy ideas about himself, when in fact the God they claimed to worship was speaking to them, and he did, they did not recognize him. The Bible makes it clear that the angel of the Lord was not an appearance of God the Father. The scripture says three different times that no one has ever seen God the Father. All three of these statements were written by John, the apostle that Jesus loved under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The first one is John 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Jesus made the second statement himself. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. The final statement is in 1 John where it says, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. If the angel of the Lord was an appearance of God the Father, then these statements would not be true. People would have seen him. The Lord Jesus, as the angel of the Lord, was the one speaking to Moses out of the burning bush, which was not consumed. The angel of the Lord became the man Jesus. From that point on, he would never appear again as the angel of the Lord, but as Jesus, the Son of God. Finally, in answer to the question, who is Jesus? The Bible says that Jesus, the Son God loves, is the image of the invisible God. By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul described Jesus Christ, the Son God loves, like this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. Jesus is the image of the invisible God and ruler over all creation. You and I were created by Jesus and for Jesus. Jesus is both our creator and the reason we were created. We were created for the purpose of having an everlasting relationship of love with Jesus. Jesus was quoting from Deuteronomy 6.5 when he taught that loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is the greatest commandment. We have established earlier that Jesus is the Lord God. So the greatest commandment is to love Jesus with everything we are. The most important thing we will ever do is to love him. In our relationship with Jesus, he demonstrates his love for us and then we respond to that love by loving him in return. The Bible says we love because he first loved us. We were created by Jesus and for Jesus because he wanted to have people to love who would love him back. Now we will turn 
our attention to answering the question, how has Jesus loved us? The most important way Jesus loved us was by his death on the cross for our sins. The New Testament is full of verses centered around Jesus loving us by going to the cross to die for us. When we chose to turn away from God and sin against him, he did not destroy us and start over again. Instead, the God who made us for himself became a man so that he could die for the very same people he had created to love him. Instead of making them pay for their own sins against him, he chose to pay for them himself. By his death, Jesus made a way for people to return to God and be forgiven for their sins. He made it possible for people to be restored to a loving relationship with their creator. Talking about himself, Jesus said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. A Christian song with an unknown author summarizes what Jesus did in a few lines. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace, all day long. Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. The following is a list of overview of the ways that Jesus loved us, which are related to his death on the cross for us. Jesus loved us by leaving heaven and coming to earth to save us. Jesus loved us by giving up his life to save us. Jesus loved us by shedding his blood to redeem us when he died on the cross for us. Jesus loved us by setting us free from slavery to our sins by his blood. I encourage you to look up the Bible references given for each of these statements and meditate on them. Another way Jesus loved us was by forgiving our sins and canceling our debts to God. In Luke chapter 7, there is a story about Jesus visiting the home of a Pharisee named Simon. During this visit, a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town came up behind Jesus and began weeping. She kissed the feet of Jesus and her tears fell on them. Then she wiped his feet with her hair and poured perfume on them from an alabaster jar. Jesus pointed out that this woman loved him much because he had forgiven her much. Then he told a story about a money lender who lent a large amount of money to one man and a small amount of money to another man. The money lender canceled the debts of both men. He asked Simon, which will love him more? Jesus confirmed that Simon's answer was correct. The one who had the bigger debt canceled would love him more than the one who had the smaller debt canceled. The sinful woman who wet the feet of Jesus with her tears and wiped them with her hair, and the man in the parable who owed the money lender a large debt are examples of how each of us should respond to Jesus when he forgives our sins. Every Christian should love Jesus deeply because the debt of our sins against him is great, and he has forgiven us greatly. 
That the sinful woman's love is directed at Jesus is evidence of the fact that he is the one who forgave her. I think that she understood that Jesus was the Lord God, and all her sins were against him. In the same way, in the parable of the moneylender, Jesus was teaching that when he cancels debts that people owe him, they will love him according to the magnitude of the debt canceled. Those who love Jesus deeply are those who recognize the great debt they owe Jesus, which he forgave them. The new believer who deeply loves Jesus is aware of the great number and severity of his or her sins against the Lord, which he has forgiven them. Those who are ignorant or in denial about their sins against God think that they don't need much, if any, forgiveness. A person like this will have little or no love for Jesus. The same is true of us who have known the Lord for a long time. If we continue to recognize our sins against him and our ongoing need of his forgiveness, then we will go to Jesus and the Father and confess our sins to them. If we allow our hearts to be broken daily over our sins and daily confess them, we will continue to love Jesus and the Father deeply. But if we forget how much we have been forgiven and ignore or deny our continuing sins against God, then our hearts will become hardened and we will lose the love we had for Jesus when we first believed in him and were saved. Finally, Jesus loved us by saving us when we believed in him and called on his name. Romans chapter 10 verses 8 through 13 explains how to be saved. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. According to these verses, the Lord Jesus will forgive your sins and save you if you do these three things. One, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. This means that you believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be, and did for you what only he could do. He is God the Son, who came from the Father to earth and died for your sins. You demonstrate this faith by saying out loud, Jesus is Lord. Two, believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. This means that you believe in your heart that God the Father demonstrated his acceptance of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for your sins by raising him from the dead. Three, call on the name of the Lord Jesus, asking him to forgive you and save you. 
Jesus will forgive and save those who ask him to. The Bible promises that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's do a quick review of the points we've covered. First, we ask the question, who is Jesus? According to the testimony of scripture, Jesus is the word of God, our creator. Jesus is the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who revealed himself in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord. Jesus, the son God loves, is the image of the invisible God who created everything for himself. Secondly, we ask the question, how has Jesus loved us? And we found that the Bible teaches Jesus loved us by his death on the cross for our sins. Jesus loved us by forgiving our sins and canceling our debts to God. Jesus loved us by saving us when we believed in him and called on his name. How should we respond to the love of Jesus Christ, the word of God who created us for himself so he could have somebody to love? How should we respond to Jesus Christ, the son God loves, who created us for the purpose of knowing him and loving him. How should we respond to Jesus, the Lord God, who loved us by becoming a man so he could shed his blood to die and save us from an eternity in bondage to sin and separated from God in hell? How should we respond to the Lamb of God who was raised from the dead after suffering a terrible death in our place and now lives forevermore and reigns in glory as king of everything on God's throne in heaven. The Apostle Paul gave this testimony about his own experience with Jesus. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Then the Apostle Paul says that the love of Christ is his motivation for ministry and that every believer should live for Jesus because he died for each one of us. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but live for the one who died for them and was raised again. Jesus told us how to show our love and gratitude to him. He said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Each of us can respond to the great love of Jesus by accepting his invitation to a dance of love between his heart and ours that will go on forever. The relationship between our Lord and Savior and each one of us can be illustrated by a couple dancing together in perfect synchronization. In this dance, Jesus plays the role of the man and leads. The Christian plays the role of the woman and follows him by the power of the Holy Spirit. The result is a beautiful display of love and motion. Jesus is asking everyone who will hear him, could I have this dance for the rest of your life? The good news is that you can have the Lord Jesus as your dance partner if you are willing to meet his conditions. 
He requires you to believe that he is the Lord God who created you and loves you. He requires you to admit that you have a sin problem and accept what he has done for you on the cross to take care of that problem. He requires you to listen to his words and obey them. He requires you to trust him and follow where he leads. Jesus stands before you, presenting himself to be your dance partner. Imagine that you can see the nail print in his hand he is holding out to receive your hand. He is no longer wearing a crown of thorns. Instead, he has a crown of gold on his head. His face is no longer bloody or bruised from the beating he took for you. Instead, his face is beautiful and shines like the sun. His clothes are no longer bloody and spattered with and torn. Instead, he is wearing a robe with a gold sash around his chest. He says to you, I made you in my image so I could have a relationship with you. I knew that you were going to sin, but I took care of that when, because of my love for you, I suffered and died on a Roman cross in your place. I loved you before you were born. I loved you after you sinned. I love you now. I will forgive you each time you stumble and fall when you come back to me and ask me to. I will teach you how to dance with me in the power of the Holy Spirit. As we hold each other close, I will lead you around the dance floor and show off the beauty of the glory I have given you. I made you for myself so that I would have somebody to love who would willingly love me back. Could I have this dance for the rest of your life and continue it on forever? Jesus is the perfect gentleman. He will not force you to dance with him. If you love this world and refuse to dance with Jesus leading you, he will permit it. The Bible says that if you continue to reject his offer until the day you die, there will no longer be any hope for you to change your mind. Instead of dancing with the king of the universe in the ballroom of heaven, you will be sentenced to spend eternity dancing around on the hot coals of hell with the rest of the people who resisted the love of Jesus and wouldn't submit to his rule in their lives. Please listen with your heart to the invitation of Jesus. If you hear him say, could I have this dance for the rest of your life? Then I urge you to respond with me. Yes, Lord Jesus, a thousand times yes. Take the scarred hand he's offering you. Ask him to lead you through the dance of life and promise him that you will follow him every step of the way. Tell him that you are sorry your sins caused him so much pain and suffering. Thank him for creating you for this dance and providing a permanent solution for your sin problem. Thank him for shedding his life's blood to purchase your salvation. Thank him for loving you when you were unlovely and then joyfully receive his forgiveness. If you are already dancing with Jesus, then I ask you to tell the Savior how much you love him. Thank him for creating you and forgiving you. Thank him for everything he has done for you because of his great love for you. Thank him for living his life for you. Thank him for inviting you to be his dance partner in this dance of love 
which started on the day you called on his name and will continue forever. Thank him for continuing to forgive you and restore you every time you get out of step with him. We are going to play a song with lyrics. While this song plays, I want you to think about your relationship with Jesus and his offer to be your dance partner for life and eternity. While the song is playing, ask yourself, do I love Jesus for creating me for himself? Ask yourself, do I love Jesus for giving his human life on the cross to save me from my sins? <laughs> 